This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. So when I was 16, I did something that surprised myself. Um, and it surprised me because I did not growing up loving or even liking the church. But I, when I was 16, I started going to a church all by myself. And it was a rather astonishing move to my friends. They thought I was crazy. I thought I was crazy, but I was actually really liking it. I liked listening to sermons. I liked singing hymns. And I liked learning a whole new vocabulary that certain Christian subgroups use. For instance, the testimony. So when I went to this church, there was this guy named Ralph, this big ex-army guy with a crew cut who always wore a suit and tie, and he had a little pin that to, for his tie that said, try God. And he loved to tell people about the pen, and then he liked to tell people to try Jesus. And he stood up and gave this testimony about how when he tried Jesus, it was like being on a bicycle, going down a hill with the wind at your back. And it was so easy and so amazing, you didn't even have to pedal. And I thought, that is great. I want to be a Christian like that. Now, that's what I will call a power testimony. And just to be really clear, I am not making fun of power testimonies because they're real. The Bible is filled with them. I've heard power testimonies all over the world. Christians stand up and give power testimonies. They're wonderful. We should ask the Lord. We should expect power testimonies. God to do something amazing in our midst. God to unleash his power and his healing and his beauty in ways that we never imagined. Maybe that'll happen to you today. Maybe you could ask for it tomorrow. In our first reading from 2 Corinthians 12, Paul gives it power testimony. So I want to give an example, and I want you to see how this power testimony gets stacked right beside a different kind of testimony. So here's Paul's power testimony, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And I invite you to turn in your Bibles to that passage. So because we're going to be looking at particular at this passage and a couple other passages in 1st and 2nd Corinthians. So please turn there in your Bibles to 2nd Corinthians chapter 12, our first scripture reading. The page number is printed in your bulletin there. So Paul says he's talking about this power testimony and he says he says he had some visions and revelations from the Lord. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Now, who is this man that he's talking about? Well, it's Paul. He's talking about himself. And some people say, well, why doesn't he just say that? Why doesn't he say I? Well, a couple different reasons possibly. I think the strongest one is, is that we have to realize we live in a culture that loves to tell all these amazing things that have happened to us. We love to post stuff on social media. We love to t post all our amazing things that we've done and said and, and on, on Facebook and Instagram. But Paul lived in a very different culture. People were much more reticent, much more hesitant to talk about how amazing they were and how am and the amazing thing that God has done, especially when he met the Lord Jesus. So he's like, he kind of want, wants to distance himself a little bit from it, but it also happened to me. So here's what happened. I know this man who was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be uttered, which man may not utter. He says, I was caught up into paradise. 
And I heard things, literally in the original Greek language, unutterable utterances. I heard speechless speech. I heard things that were so amazing, so beautiful, so delightful that I can't even put that into words what the Lord did in my life during that amazing vision. That's a power testimony. And remember, please understand me. We should ask and expect, maybe not exactly like that, but for God to break into our lives in ways that are amazing, that are incredible, that are powerful. But sometimes amazing doesn't come, right? It seems like God is not providing, at least for the way that we thought he would or should provide. The Bible is a really honest book. And that's why when Bishop Stewart designed this three-week sermon series we're doing called Our God, Our Provider, he asked me to preach a sermon right in the middle about what happens when God seemingly does not provide. How do we deal with that? Well, the Bible has another kind of testimony that I'm going to call the weakness testimony. So you have power testimonies and you have weakness testimonies. A weakness testimony was that when the problem has not been solved, when help has not arrived, when the miracle has not come, at least not yet, or at least not the way we would like it to come. And it aches, and it hurts, and we feel weak, and we feel powerless. And sometimes we maybe honestly don't even know how we're going to make it through the week or the day. You know what I'm talking about. Everybody has a weakness testimony the disease that hasn't been healed yet, the dream job that hasn't come, the marriage that limps along or that ended, the intimacy you long for. Everybody has weakness testimonies. The Apostle Paul has a lot of weakness testimonies. Let me read to counter balance, let me just read one of his weakness testimonies. And you don't have to turn here unless you want to, but in 1 Corinthians, his first letter to the Corinthians, he comes to them, he comes to this town which is so sophisticated, so intellectual, so uh, posh, and here's what he tells them. He says, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come to you proclaiming the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Chapter 2, verse 3, I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Can you imagine that? The Apostle Paul, this man who said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He said, I came to you, I came to you in fear and trembling and much weakness. Let me tell you a little secret, a little secret that goes on behind sermons at Res. Every single preacher who stands up here every Sunday, I would say almost 100% of the time, Although, by the time we get up here and start talking, we look like we hope we got it together. In the process, we have felt much fear and much weakness and much trembling. And when the sermon's over and we go home, sometimes we feel a lot of insecurity about what we said or should have said or didn't say. We come to you in weakness and fear. Let me just pause and define, what do I mean by weakness? Because by weakness, I do not mean a sort of gloomy passivity and cowardness. 
inability to step out in faith. I do not mean a message that we can ignore social injustice and just leave weak and vulnerable people to just be happy in their weakness and vulnerability, and we take no responsibility for that. That's not what I mean. What I'm talking about is anything that causes us to feel vulnerable. And vulnerable is a word that in its roots simply means to be wounded, to be woundable. Anything that wounds us. So it could be something in our body, it could be something in our minds, it could be something unique, especially to Christians, because you are called to live a life that's very woundable. You are called to step out in faith. You are called to maybe go to some places or talk to some people or take some steps of faith that are scary and you might fail. And that opens you up to woundableness. That's the kind of weakness that Paul is talking about. Now notice, Paul is really honest about this. So in chapter 11, now we're back to the 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the passage that you heard read. So in chapter 11, verse 30, he starts his weakness testimony. He breaks it off with a power testimony, and then he comes back to another weakness testimony. So in chapter 11, verse 30 of 2 Corinthians, he said, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. He says that a number of times. I will boast in my weaknesses. Nobody did that in Paul's day. We know a lot about the city of Corinth that Paul was writing to. It was a city that boasted of its strength. They worshiped the goddess Victoria, the goddess of victory. They participated and they hosted the Isthmian Games, which was an early Olympics. They loved the strength and the valor of young athletes. You know the thing with the young athletes, though? They always grow old. And then eventually they're, wo- they're woundable. Even though when they're 23, they never think they're woundable. Everybody grows into woundableness eventually. Paul speaking into that culture and saying, I boast in my weaknesses. You know, I would say we still live in a very Corinthian culture. We're no better than Corinth in this. We hate our weaknesses and our vulnerabilities. I read a story this week, a news story. So the the singer Adele, the 31-year-old with the gorgeous voice, she has a six-year-old son. She was married. She just went through a divorce this summer. That's got to wreck you. But you know, right on the heels of the divorce, her PR people came out, and here's one of the things they said. I quote, Adele is so busy She feels happy and alive. She is perky as heck. These are her PR people. And I'm thinking, oh, come on. Who are you trying to kid? And I am not criticizing Adele. I'm not even criticizing her PR people. I'm saying, why do we live like this? Why do we live like Corinthians? What are we doing to ourselves? What kind of damage are we doing to our souls? What kind of damage are we doing to other people who are genuinely weak or vulnerable when we have such an aversion and a hatred even for weakness and vulnerability? Let me tell you something right here because here's the point of this message, which I'll get back to. 
But there is a word from Jesus in the midst of our vulnerability and weakness that is so good and so powerful and so simple and so clear that if you're like me, you're going to have a hard time believing it. You'll try to intellectualize it. You'll try to rationalize it. You'll try to say, yeah, but, but this, but that, but I'm not worthy, but, but this, I, I, I don't see the, but here's the word that Jesus says. He says, I want to heal you, to empower you, to help you, to walk with you in and through your weakness. Now, why can I say that? Because that's exactly what the Apostle Paul heard Jesus say in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. Let me back up so you get the whole context for this. So back up with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. And I'd like you to turn there if you have your Bibles open because I want to walk through this just verse by verse. Notice what Paul says in verse 7. He says, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, remember that power testimony he had, that amazing thing that happened. So to keep me from becoming conceited, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. What was Paul's thorn in the flesh? Here's the answer. Nobody knows. All kinds of theories, but nobody knows for sure, which is kind of cool because that means if you got a thorn in the flesh, I don't know, it qualifies. It's not just one specific thorn in the flesh. We do know two things, though. First, it was bad. It really hurt. Might have been physical pain, might have been emotional pain, might have been relational pain, but it hurt. Second, Paul called it a thorn or a stake. It was like the, the Greek word that was used for a surgical instrument. Second thing we know about it, that as, although it was bad, Paul called it a messenger of Satan. Although it was bad, God used it for his good in Paul's life. How so? He delivered him from conceit. He prevented him from becoming conceited. And I'm thinking the first time I read this, well, how bad could conceit be that God's got to leave this big stake in Paul's life? Conceit is really bad. It will kill your spiritual life. That's how bad it is. The word Paul used for conceit was a form of pride, but a very specialized kind of pride. It was a pride of looking down on other people. It was the pride of elitism. It was the pride of snobbery. It was the pride that says, oh, those people. You got a group of those people? I do. I bet you do too. How bad is it? It will kill your love for Jesus. So God used the thorn in Paul's life to break him of his elitism, to break him of his snobbery, to break him of his conceit. And by the way, this conceit is at the root of every form of racism and genocide and crushing of the weak and vulnerable, this, this conceit is at the roots of all of that. And Paul, the, the Lord Jesus, through the thorn, broke open his heart 
to love and re- love God, receive grace, and love others. You cannot learn that from a book. You cannot learn that from a college course. You have to learn it from the risen Christ who teaches it to you one-on-one. And it's often learned for many people, not all the time, not for every person, but many times it's often learned way more in our thorns than in our victories. Now notice Paul, verse 8. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Three times. I prayed a lot. I prayed like Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Three times praying for this cup of suffering to be removed. And what did God say? He left the thorn there. And I think, here's the Apostle Paul, this incredible man of prayer, this incredible man that's seen people come to know the Lord, churches planted, missionary journeys launched, taught other people about praying. He prays three times, just like Jesus. And the Lord says, no, no, no. I'm not going to take the thorn away. He says, I have something else for you. may not be what you really wanted, but I have something else for you. Verse 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Now, here's where the original Greek can be really helpful, because literally when it says, he, Jesus, said to me, it literally translated, he said to me, and he's still saying it to me. It's a Greek perfect tense, which means a past action with an ongoing reality. So Jesus said it, and he's still saying it. In other words, Paul says, i got to hear this every day. I didn't just need to hear this once. I need to hear this every single day. I need to hear my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Sometimes I need to hear it every hour. And what's the purpose of Jesus, Paul, boasting in his weakness? Notice the end of verse 9. So that... So that is a purpose clause. This is the purpose. This is why it's happening. Why are we vulnerable? Why do we boast in our weaknesses? It's because it's cool to be vulnerable about just whatever has broken us in life? Well, no, not exactly. It's because so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul is talking like a good Jewish follower of Jesus who's been steeped in the Hebrew Scriptures, and he is calling, looking at sort of the glory of God, the Shekinah glory of God that used to descend on the people of God when they worshiped, this heavy, thick, joyful, liberating sense of just thick love and power and glory and awesomeness of God. He's saying, I boast in my weakness so that the power of Christ, God in human flesh, may rest upon me. That's what comes. And then, for the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses. You know, the Apostle Paul, I said, he told a lot of weakness testimonies. Here's another one. And by the way, just in case you didn't get clear on this, weakness testimonies are actually strength in weakness testimonies. That's what God wants to turn them into. Not just weakness testimonies, but power, Christ's power in our weaknesses. So here's another one. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, we have this treasure, talking about the treasure of Jesus, the treasure of the gospel, the treasure of the presence of Jesus. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. About 25 years ago, a friend of mine in Minnesota named Larry made me this pot. 
this clay, this pottery. That's not a pot. This little statue, little picture. He lived in Japan, and he's a professional potter, and he is a certain school of pottery in Japan. There's actually a couple different schools of pottery in Japan that are similar, but in this particular one, they make the pots intentionally with the flaws and imperfections in it. So it's got a gash right here. You can see the lip is all kind of distorted. This little handle is higher than this handle. It's filled with flecks and specks and imperfections. Paul is saying, you, people of God, we are an ordinary clay pot with flaws and wounds. And by the way, when I talk about wounds and weaknesses, I'm not talking about blatant sins. That's a different category. I'm talking about the things that wound us, things, the weaknesses that overcome us that are non-sin related. But the Apostle Paul is saying, imagine you put some gold and diamonds into this clay pot. Let's imagine a huge diamond. Put it in there. You have the treasure, this incredible treasure in the pot. Why? So that everybody will look, look at the, the, this, this pottery and say, wow, what an amazing piece of pottery. No, so that people will say, wow, look at that amazing diamond in that piece of pottery. That's the Christian life. So that people will see the power of God shining through our weakness. And remember, when Jesus says, my power will rest upon you, who are we talking about? Who are we talking about when we talk about Jesus? He's the wisdom and power of God. He's the second person of the Trinity. He's creator of heaven and earth. He is coming back to judge the living and the dead. He is all that. But he is also the one who has his own testimony of weakness. He was born in a stable, in vulnerability. He became a human being. He took upon our weakness. He was crucified. He was wounded for our transgressions, the Bible tells us. Why? So that he could come to us, so that he could save us, so that he could forgive us, so that he could lavish us with grace, so that he could bear the judgment that we deserve for our conceit and greed and a million other sins. When we face our weaknesses, when we turn to him in the midst of weaknesses, when we say, Jesus, live in me, I can't do this another day, his power begins to rest upon us. Let me say more about how we can do that in just a minute, but let me tell you a story. So my friend Kate had a tragic accident about 10 years ago. Doctor said she would never walk. When I reached out to her, I said, Kate, I'm preaching on this passage. I just want to get your insights. What, what would you say? What do you think about this? And she said, here's what she said in the email to me. She said, I've had both testimonies, the power and the weakness one. On the one hand, I am truly a miracle. I have quadriplegia, but I have no business walking or holding a fork, but God in his kindness chose to work a miracle in my life. How many quadriplegics have made dinner for you? She said, that, but on the weakness side, I was raised wounded. She struggles with chronic pain. In her beautiful memoir that she writes that's been published and written called Where I End, I quote from Kate. She says, the enemy of our souls loves to take us in our woundedness and tell us that we've been abandoned, 
that you are alone, that you are not seen, nor are you loved. Let me just pause there. Because that is the anti-message of 2 Corinthians 12, 9. The Christ message is, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect for weakness. The anti-message that Satan wants to whisper in your soul, and maybe you've already bought it, and maybe you believe it, and maybe you struggle with this every day, and if so, please get prayer for this today. Maybe the message you've gotten is, I have been abandoned, I am alone, I'm just under God's judgment, there is no hope for me, I'm not seen, I'm not loved. That's the anti-message. But Kate goes on to say, sometimes God does not offer an explanation for evil. Instead, he deals with it by entering into the pain and darkness and woundedness of the world by becoming one of us. By bearing in his body on the cross our wounds, she says, yes, our sins, but also our wounds by becoming vulnerable with us and for us. At times, she says, it may feel as if we're groping through the darkness, but rest assured, we are never alone. It is perhaps during these dark times that we come to know our Jesus. That's a lesson Paul learned. Look at the last verse in this passage as he finishes his weakness testimony or his strength and weakness testimony. He says, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Notice he doesn't say, I love them. I like this. I like getting persecuted. I love my weaknesses. I want more. He doesn't say that. Remember, he prayed for them to be removed, but he says when they come, and if I can't get rid of them, I'm content. Why? For when I am weak, then I am strong. What's Paul saying? Well, maybe more importantly, what's Jesus saying in this passage? Well, I think he's saying this. When it comes down to it, we have two things we can choose. There's my strength over here. And by the way, your strengths are not a bad thing. So take StrengthsFinder 2.0. Find out what your five top strengths are. Take personality tests if you want to. Find out, you know, move into your strengths, all that kind of stuff. It's not bad. But what is the power center of my life? There's like a pump. There's a pump in the center of my life that's pumping out strength and love and courage and peace and the ability to follow Jesus. Which pump is that? Am I going to trust my own pump, this faulty, defective, sin-riddled pump that pumps sometimes, doesn't pump other times, that's going to wind down for the first 12 years of my life? It wasn't working very well at all. For the last 12 years of my life, it's not going to be working very well at all. Am I going to trust that pump, or am I going to trust the pump of Jesus? Am I going to say, Jesus, take that pump and put it in my heart? I need that pump in my heart because I can't do it. with My pumps just doesn't work very well all the time or most of the time. So which one are you going to have live in you? And again, I hate to use a mechanical illustration, but I hope your engineers appreciate that. But it's really personal. It's a person. Am I going to trust my strength or the strength of Jesus? How do we do that? That pump is working. Every time we receive the Eucharist, you are coming to Jesus and you're saying, I have these weaknesses. I need your strength. What do we say in our liturgy? Feed on him in your hearts by faith and with thanksgiving. You're feeding on the strength of Jesus. It happens when we, when we live in Christian community. It happens when we 
pray for each other. When we say, I have this need, I have this, I need some help, would you pray for me? And we let somebody pray for us. We're vulnerable, we're woundable, and the Lord's strength is put in us through the hands of that person that's praying for us. We, pr- we experience when we, when we open our Bibles, when we read his word, when we trust his pro- promises, when we hear the gospel read, the life of Jesus is being put into us. And Paul said, I've become content, not because I like all my weaknesses, but because the power of Christ is in me. How did he get there? He said this amazing experience was 14 years ago. He's telling us about 14 years of his life. How long did it take him to get to this point? It wasn't overnight. It wasn't automatic. But he got there through the help of Christian community and through the power of Christ. And because God still raises the dead, So, Jesus is still speaking. He's speaking to you. He didn't just speak to Paul throughout his life. That's what the Word of God is so powerful and living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, because he's still speaking to you. What is he saying? Are we paying attention? He's saying, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.